the test pilot. Why don't we take that idea? All the advice. See if all this stuff is actually what it is. We're here to test that. Before we dive into our interviews today, we wanted to give a disclaimer that any information that is provided here on these episodes is not professional advice. This is simply information from people's personal experiences. If or you or anyone you know needs help with their mental health, please reach out to a professional. We advise that you reach out to therapists or any other mental health program that you can find out there to assist you. So, hey guys, welcome back to the Test Pilots. Um, we have a very special episode here for you today. Um, Stephen isn't going to be with us this week, but he will be back for the next episode. Um, so let's dive right into it. Um, we're going to be touching base on mental health this week, and we feel like it's something that most junior designers really struggle with when they first step into the industry. And we figured the best way to really give us some perspective is to talk to people who are really established in their careers and hear their personal experiences on how they dealt with their mental health issues that they faced when they first entered the design industry. I think one thing I'm noticing, though, is like, mm-hmm. I feel like these issues aren't something that are just for designers. I mean, I'm sure that oh, everybody absolutely. is doing it, especially right now with, um, with the world being so crazy, everyone being so isolated, having to kind of deal with issues on your own a lot of the time. But I think one of the hardest parts about talking or about mental health is that no one really wants to talk about it because a lot of times it's seen as like weak or it's seen as, as you're not as tough as you should be or something like that. And it's like, no, everybody, everybody feels everything. And I think that sharing those experiences, I think that's important. I, at least for me. Yeah. It's interesting that, um, it's perfectly fine to talk about physical health. Like it, yeah. it would be perfectly fine for me to say, Hey, you know what? I worked out, four times this week and I put on some weight and I've been eating bad, you know, like, and everyone would be like, okay. But if I said, Hey, I had like a anxiety all this week and um, I had to see a therapist or I had to do this or that. And then it's like, you start to feel ashamed about that or you, you start to worry about what other people are going to think about you. But it's the same thing. You know, your mental health is as important as your physical health. Yeah. And sometimes it's even more important because you can be the most physically fit person in the world, but if your mental health isn't there, then um, it's not there. So, But not even like the bad stuff, though. It's like, like you just said, it's like not even when you're going through the, the rough part. What if you're like doing like the the mental health equivalent of just working out? Yeah, and yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, I went to a therapist. And we talked about like just we just talked. And some people like that's that's what's going on they're tuning up their brain and even then it's still kind of like almost frowned upon and i I don't understand that aspect and i i've heard that it's different in different cultures and that americans are strangely like like very unadvanced in their perception of mental health but uh who knows i've actually never lived you know in like an asian country or like a uh an australian uh, country so i wonder if it's you know different there yeah, I, I feel like it's just a sensitive subject overall. And when it comes to talking about feelings or like what you're going through, like people usually say keep that out of the workplace. But I feel like it's something that needs to become more of a norm where it's like, hey, I am going to go see my therapist and that's okay. Um, yeah. Your work meetings or whatever else it is can wait because sometimes you really do need to focus on yourself. I think one thing I want to ask you guys about this past year and the reason why we're kind of doing this episode is the whole um, – 
know, people say you should tune up yourself first before and focus on yourself because that's where everything starts. Uh, this past year, so 2020, we're recording this in uh, April 2021. Uh, did you guys feel a toll on your attacks on your mental health or just like, and like, wh- how did it manifest itself? Instead of just talking about it like, yeah, I was doing really bad. Like, what were you actually noticing about yourself? That's maybe where we can start. I mean, personally, for me, I'm a person who thrives on social interaction, like being with people, I can't get that fixed through texting and just like social media. So with quarantine, obviously, like I was just a mess. Um, And I realized like, okay, this is a way that I realized I need to learn to become comfortable with just being on my own. And the best way to really do that was actually like getting help and talking to a therapist and figuring out ways to cope that way. Um, So yeah, that was just me. What about you, Nark? Yeah, same, same thing. That loneliness, that kind of um, just being, you know, stuck at home all the time. Because it's like your ho- my whole pattern switched. You know, I was at school all day, every day. I was surrounded oh, yeah. by my friends, talking, interacting, and then it was like switch, and I'm just home all the time, every single day, all day. And then it's like it starts to get to you after a while, you know. And then even when we finished school, like. I was still like, I kind of got used to that feeling after a while. But then like I I started worrying about like, am I ever going to find a job? Am I ever going to do this? What's going to happen now? You know, it's like all these uncertainties because everything was uncertain, you know. So and then on top of that, you know, I have like, you know, people in my family are like, you know, medical professionals. And, you know, it's like going out, out and working and everything. So all of that is just like like fear and paranoia and just like you know anxiety all the time 24 7 just you don't know what's gonna happen um but the the way i dealt with it was just talking to people you know talking to my friends you know like and then and then what you find pretty soon is you're you're not the only one and um, there are people that go through exactly what you're feeling you know their circumstances are different but they, they can understand you they can talk to you they can walk you through it you know or um, you might be even more experienced than them, so you can help them out, which you know in the end helps you. Um, so it, it's been this this last year has been a journey of just ups and downs, but um, for sure, I feel like we've reached a good point here where we can openly talk about it and you know help each other. For me, it was very much I uh, experienced like acute anxiety for the first time in my life and uh i'd always kind of had it i've always been like kind of an anxious person i've always been like a real thinker and i get trapped in my own brain but what was ended up happening for me was i was spending so much time by myself more time than i had ever been spending by myself just because i grew up with like um you know big family i was the youngest of three so i always had someone around and then i you know had a lot of friends and then a lot of my you know i still have a lot of friends and then in March, April, May, June, I really stuck to quarantine for all of that time. And I didn't see anybody. And it was one of the first times where I was just thinking all the time. And, you know, doom scrolling, we already covered that in the, in the last episode, talking about spent so much time on social media. And I was doing, I think, pretty bad for a little while. And I was talking to my family all the time, but I just like didn't have, I couldn't scratch the itch at all. And I just what I ended up turning to, which thank God I had this because I think I could have really had a problem on my hands, was I started painting. And I painted um, during the start of quarantine, I was painting like three paintings a week. And to me, 
that's a lot. And I, so I was painting in, you know, eight and a half by 11 paintings. And I was churning these things out because I would literally wake up, I'd paint, I'd go to work, I'd work, and then I would cook dinner and go back and paint some more because it was the only time I could like shut the lights off in my brain. And I would just teleport to bed through that time, you know, instead of spending it on my phone. And then I would wake up the next day and I would just be like, you know, got to live it all over again. And I just feel like I, I spent my 25th year of being alive, uh, painting in my room. And that's kind of how I, when I think back on that year, that's all I did was paint. And there were worse things to do. Like I could have been drinking or, uh, you know, breaking quarantine and like been a wild man. And instead I dealt with it the best I could, but I know that a lot of people are also dealing with, with their shit in their own way. And it's always interesting hearing how other people handled it. Oh, yeah, we have some very special guests this week, and I'm super excited. Um, so we will be interviewing Meg Lewis, who is also um, a very big mental health and just positive environment advocate. And following that, we have a very special interview with Kate O'Connell, um, the founder of Still We Persist Agency, um, who also is a very big advocate for mental health and healthy workspaces. I'm excited. I actually... Um listen to a little bit of your guys' interview. I wasn't on this one. And she seems so um, open about it. And she's so open that it gets over that hump. It's like, have you ever been part of like a, um, the only way I can describe it is, have you ever been part of like a subculture? Like you play a video game that like not a lot oh, of yeah. people play. Or like, or like back in my day, it was like, day, if you collected like Yu-Gi-Oh cards, Yu-Gi-Oh but like no one else did. No but then you finally meet someone who does collect Yu-Gi-Oh cards and you're like, holy shit, like you too? Me and you? Yeah, all like excited And you're to like, oh my them. God, let's, let's, let's discuss this. And uh, that's kind of what it feels like a lot of times, increasingly with mental health, where people are just like so... They've gotten over the hump, and then you're like, "You too, me, you, mental health. Like we got this. Like we do this." And I, that's what it sounded like when you guys were talking to him. It's awesome. Yeah, she yeah. she she I has mean, such a positive attitude, and it's like it's infectious, you know. And then when she talks to you with her voice and her demeanor and everything, it's like you yeah. it just makes you want to. Yeah, 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 we were just smiling and laughing yeah. the whole time, even though we were talking about something that's you know a little bit more serious, but. We're still like we were we were so comfortable about it, which is, I think, great because um, people don't talk about mental health because they always think it's going to be sad or it's going to be like, oh, I don't want to go near that. But with her, it was like, OK, let's share more about it, let's talk more about it. You know, it was it was great. And I think it's really good because our interview with Kate is really different compared to our interview with Meg so much in the fact that like Meg is a freelancer full time, whereas Kate is running an agency. So you get the perspective of both work environments as a designer and how mental health is so important for both factors. Yeah. So I think one thing we didn't really set up at the, you know, we're only 10 minutes in, but one thing we didn't really tell you is like, it's all about just starting the conversation and you can take this conversation off of here and start having conversations with your friends. And this can expand to a variety of things, not just COVID related, but like talking about, you know, when you graduate, do you, how do you have a work-life balance? We'll cover that in the next one when we have a couple of other interviews. But we decided to do uh, two group interviews. Um, so the first one is what, Rubai and Narek talking with mm-hmm. Meg. And then the second one is uh, Rubai and me talking with uh, Kate. And we're I think that it just covers as much as we can. And we're just starting the conversation. Hopefully, you guys will take that conversation and 
you know, explore that a little bit too. And don't be afraid to. Uh, should we jump into it? Let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to the Test Pilots. Rubai and my co-host Narek Mugnapian here to interview the well-known Meg Lewis on mental health today. But before we dive into that, Meg, can you give us a brief background on yourself, please? Brief. Okay. I am. <laughs> I'm a designer by trade. I have specialized in, oh my goodness gracious, every kind of design. It feels like at this point, I started off as a web designer, moved into UI and then product design and then brand strategy and brand design. And now... I don't really solve problems that much anymore <laughs> as a designer. Now I get hired more as an artist and I definitely have a multi-hyphenate career now. I'm an, oh goodness, I would say I'm an artist, designer, comedian, educator, performer. I will just do anything that it takes in order to make money and survive. Definitely feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a really big advocate on mental health and healthy workspaces, so our podcast is mainly oriented for younger junior designers who are like fresh in the field. And I mean, as one of them, um, when I had first graduated college, I found that it was really hard to find that balance and also just learn how to set those boundaries because you're so ready to just like say yes all the time in hopes of being able to just like move up the corporate ladder. In this case, um, did you ever have any of that? those like situations happen? And how did you set those boundaries and just ensure that like you were keeping a healthy, healthy like balance and making sure you were mentally healthy? Yes. Wow. Thank you for asking this because this is something that I think everybody struggles with, especially as designers, but really probably in any industry. And I think what happens is we are taught very early on that meeting certain metrics or having certain things means having success or being a successful person. And being a successful designer usually means like you got to hustle, you got to work really hard. It depends on what track you're on. If you're in agency life or studio life, you know, you're going to be working up some kind of a ladder. And I think also some people just have different metrics in their mind. Maybe they want to work for themselves. Maybe they want to own their own studio. And so we work so hard to try and get there. And along the way, I think we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. We, you know, mark certain designers as models of what we want to have. We want to be like them someday. And we compare ourselves to other people that we think are at a similar level to us saying, why can't I have what they have yet? Or, you know, seeing somebody who's good at a style of design or, or an area of design that we're not naturally good at. So we compare ourselves to them. I'm saying we, I mean this from my own personal history because this has happened to me, but I've observed that it happens to every human. We spend our time comparing ourselves to others and using other people sort of as the framework for how we are successful and what success means to us. And because of that, we have also grown to believe that working really, really hard, long hours helps us to get that success. And this happens in the design industry. It happens in many other industries. And what I've realized after having done that for so many years, working so hard, working a really long time, just trying to do things the way that other successful people in my head did them and try to emulate that, that I realized it did not work for me. It was leading to doing work that was not fulfilling to me. It led to um, a lot of self-confidence issues, of me feeling 
really bad about my natural abilities as a designer, thinking that I was a terrible designer. Um, just, just thinking that compared to every other designer in the industry, I was garbage and I would nitpick those things in design like hand lettering or technical illustration or complex problem solvings, all of these things about design that I was just not good at. I would latch on to those things that I wasn't good at and just fixate on them and constantly beat myself up for not being good at them when other people were. So, you know, that that leads to a lot of dangerous self-harm and self-talk. And, and eventually I had to realize that, and this happened through some comments that other people told me about me, that whenever people look at me and the work that I do, they do the same thing. So they're looking at me and they're comparing themselves to me and saying, I wish I was as good at this thing as Meg is and I wish I had what Meg had. And I had never thought about that. I had never wished that I had what I had. I always wanted what other people had. And I never could acknowledge the areas of design that I was good at. I didn't even know what they were. So I was spending all my time comparing myself to other people. And other people were spending all their time comparing my themselves to me. And eventually I realized, hold up a minute. If I just utilize the things that everybody else is jealous about me for these things that people are envious of that I have, if I just utilize those things and start to finally celebrate what those things are and push those forward 100% and let all these other things go that I'm just not naturally good at and I just allow other people to be better at them than I am, then maybe that is something really special. So a a few years ago, I decided to finally embrace what those things are. And there are not that many things. I'm not that good at that many things. It's a handful, a small handful of things. I have small hands. It's a a Meg (laughs) handful of things that I am good at uh, compared to most people. And it's not things that I can do that nobody else can do. But this, this handful of thing, like in design, I'm good at expressive typography, color, uh, clean design that has a lot of personality. And that's, that's about it. Those are the things in design that I am good at. And once I finally was able to recognize what those things are and push them forward 100% of the time and stop trying to uh, emulate other people's styles and stop fighting against it constantly, then I became known for having more recognizable work because it was work that was so true to who I am. Um, but I also got more opportunities because I was making original looking design work and not work that was influenced by trends or just influenced by emulating what other successful designers were doing. But most importantly, mental health wise, it made me so much more confident about who I am and what makes me amazing. I was finally able to see it and I was finally able to celebrate it, which led into so many other amazing things mental health wise and being able to celebrate other people and being able to have the mindset of there's room for everybody in this industry because we all are really great at our own set small set of things and now instead of being jealous or envious of those things and other people I see them and I say wow that's really great that they can do that and it's totally fine that I cannot (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing because I feel like I feel like I graduated last year and in the last year, you know, you know, friends on Instagram, we send each other things. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Look at this artist. And it's always like, how did they do that? How did they do that? Like my, I could never do that. I could never do that. And I just see the repeated pattern of I can't do it. I can't do it. This person did it. So 
if you could go back to that young Meg, you know, fresh out of college, like what would you tell her? Would you would you tell her um, what would be that advice you could tell her to 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 get to this stage earlier than you did? I I think that I would absolutely encourage myself to question the advice that other people give me. I, you know, we do, we're, t we're taught since we're children, other people tell us the truths about the world. And so we're used to looking to somebody with authority to tell us what to do and to tell us what the truth is about the world. And I was just in that mindset as I learned about design and I never questioned it because these people that taught me, they knew more than I did. So I should listen to them because they know what I should be doing in order to be successful. And I never questioned any of that. I took that advice to heart and I did exactly what I was told, which is largely to study what other people are doing that are doing successful work or, ha or having a successful career and emulate that, copy that, like just do what they do because it's a proven model that works. And so that, of course, led me to do a lot of that comparing myself to them and to copying other people, you know, which made me insecure because I knew that I was just sort of emulating other people's styles and it never made me feel very confident. I mean, we've all been there where we're designing something and we had the mood board and we're like, is this too close to the inspiration? <laughs> Did I accidentally, am I too close? Did I accidentally just rip off this other designer? And it just led me to feel like that all the time. And so I think if Actually, I were talking point. to my younger self earlier on in my career, I would urge myself to just anytime anyone gives me advice on what to do in a situation, just take a moment to question it, to say, does this work for me? Does this feel right to me? Um, do I agree with what they're saying? And what I've realized throughout my career is that I think this is a controversial statement, but I don't I, I truly think that most of design is a total construct, just like a lot of the rules of the world where good and bad design. I don't even know if that means any like who decided what good and bad design <laughs> is. There's inaccessible design. There's unusable design. Mm -hmm. There's design that actually does cause harm. But most of the design that we do the on the sort of harm causing barometer it's pretty low. Like if I use Comic Sans or Papyrus or something, it's not really causing that much harm. But yet somebody at some point, probably with like more power or money or something, decided that design wise that is bad. And so now we all just follow this rule that, you know, Papyrus is bad. <laughs> so Comic for me, it's just <laughs> it's just constantly that is the advice that I would give is to tell myself to just slow down and think about the decisions I'm making, why I'm following certain rules and who put those rules into my head and how much harm are they causing if I break them. Do you ever feel like social media kind of plays into that a lot? Because I found that like, I mean, personally, if I'm being fully transparent, like there are times where I can't help but compare myself to other designers because of social media. And if a, like design I post doesn't have enough likes or doesn't like really have that much appreciation, I'll get intimidated, feel like it's not good enough. And then take it down. Have you ever felt that way? Or have you ever personally done that? Yes. I, when there are numbers tied to the things that we do, it's awful. It's just, it's such an easy <laughs> metric for proving or disproving your own insecurities. <laughs> so absolutely. Um, I definitely have, since I've always been self-employed, self something that's really been helpful for me is that sort of survival mindset of 
not waiting for other people's permission in order to do something. Um, so if I need to make money, I can't wait around for somebody to give me money. Usually I absolutely have to make money in creative ways. So having that mindset early on in my career has been really helpful. And social media has been a really great way for me to take control of the narrative of who I am as a human <laughs> and as a designer. And I will say that it's helped me prove even, you know, at the beginning when social media metrics didn't mean as much as I feel like they do today, um, it helped me to sort of take charge and, and carve my own path in a way that was uh, forcing it down people's throats, basically. And what I've realized, and it's been proven to me time and time again, is that nobody asks for any of the stuff that I do. Nobody's like, we love this. We want more of this. No one ever says that about my work. <laughs> my work is so extremely specific to who I am that I, I think that most people are like, what is this? <laughs> um, but they see me doing my thing. They see how confident I am about it, how, how much fun I'm having with what I'm doing. And I think people, their reaction is usually like, I don't know what this is. This doesn't interest me, but look at her go. Good job, Meg. <laughs> well it's so it's so funny because like talking to you right now like just your personality like I can see it in your design and it all makes so much sense and like I absolutely love it um you just like radiate so so much positivity and it's just great <laughs> well going off of that like they say that when you're fresh in the industry like you just constantly have to be on that hustle so like if you're not working at your agency in your free time you have to be creating content just to like post and share. And it, at that point, like there is no concept of balance. You're constantly working and it affects junior designers, mental health so much. Um, what advice would you give to those designers that are just having to work those crazy long hours at agency jobs and don't know how to say no when they're saying like, Hey, can you stay a bit later uh, and whatnot? I think it, it, it depends on how much risk you're willing to take <laughs> um, of possibly unexpectedly losing your job, I guess. I, you know, I, I that is one of the reasons why I've never had a full-time job because I am a people pleaser and I uh, will, I know with a hundred percent certainty that if I got in one of those situations, I would get stuck. I would work all the hours and I would be there forever. I'd, if I took an agency job when I was 22, I would definitely still be there today. I know for a fact because I can't, I'm horrible with confrontation. <laughs> I love to make everybody happy and I know I would get stuck. So I immediately knew that was not right for me. So if you are like me and you're not great at advocating for your own mental health with uh, people of authority, <laughs> then I would say maybe set yourself up for success by creating an environment, a work lifestyle for yourself where you don't have to deal with that. And we're all different. I think a lot of people for many years made me feel bad that I'm horrible at confrontation. Um, they made me, you know, think that I needed to work really hard at that. And and over the years, I, I have worked a little bit at it, but I've realized that this is just who I am. This is part of my personality. It's what makes me unique. And if I can adjust my lifestyle to make sure that it's accommodating for that, um, then absolutely I should. So I think that what you need for your mental health is not the same as what anybody else really may need for their mental health. So trying to set yourself up for success by creating a career for yourself that is the most possible fulfilling career that you can have is the best 
first place to start is identifying what that could possibly be. And for me, I like to chase constantly chasing that. And that answer is always changing. So for for me, I find that my fulfilling career is usually change. The definition of that changes two or three times a year at least. So I don't think that you'll come up with one definitive answer ever. Um, because we're constantly changing and growing and learning new things about ourselves. So follow what's fulfilling to you, what's exciting, what's fun for you. If you are in, um, you know, all of us as creative people, we're in this wonderful place of privilege of being able to have a career where we get to be creative, creative throughout the day. And having that wonderful source of privilege is an honor. And I truly do not think that we should waste it. So I think that if you're letting yourself get beaten down over and over and over again by your work, by this creative, this amazing creative work, then that is so sad. So fight for yourself, work really hard to advocate for yourself constantly. And if you find yourself in a situation where you feel trapped and you're so unfulfilled, you deserve to get out of there and to find something that's better for you. Yeah, because it's better than being burnt out. And then you just lose that creative drive altogether. Exactly. It's, it's also a lot of uh, fear. You know, like I'm just speaking from my own experience and from like what I see my friends are going through, like fresh out of school. It's it's a lot of fear and they'll just say yes to the first job, like the very first job offer that comes in and they'll just reply to that email like, yes, I'll take it. And then like, you know, four months later, I'll be talking to them and they're like, oh, I I haven't slept, you know, or Mm -hmm. I'm tired all the time or and I'm like, okay, just let's let's find something else. You know, let's work on that portfolio. Let's work on that resume. And then everyone's just scared they're like what if I don't find anything what if I don't get anything and and I feel like the pandemic has kind of put that on like a magnified that where people are just terrified of losing their jobs and people like I remember when we graduated and the pandemic had just started and it's like I was on LinkedIn looking for jobs and it would be like unpaid internship unpaid internship work from home unpaid internship and I'd be like who who, who's gonna get a design job now you know like um, I'm not an essential worker so so like uh, maybe you could talk more about that, like that fear of just being working for yourself. Like how, how have you dealt with that over the years? Absolutely. The fear is there. It's there every day. <laughs> and uh, I will say that I, 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 since I have always been a freelancer, I've always been self-employed. I know about my personality that when I get in that moment of fear, which is truly every day, honestly, um, it actually pushes me really hard to work harder and to prove the fear wrong. That is my natural state is like, if I'm scared of something, I push through it and I let the fear sort of drive me. But I also know so many people that have been or tried to be self-employed. They had a a full-time jobby job and then they decided to go freelance because they thought it seemed really amazing. And then the fear hit them of where's the next job going to come from? Am I, am I done? Is the world over me? Has everybody just moved on and I'm irrelevant? Um, those are the things that play in my head every day. <laughs> uh, and I think they play in every freelancer's head. And so when when that, freelan- that freelancer fear hits them, I find that most people that don't make it very long as a freelancer, the fear sort of holds them back from taking any kind of action. And I think... That is kind of the marker for what I've noticed helps people to understand if they will make a like a, you know, a freelancer that actually gets work and is able to survive as a freelancer is what you do in those fearful situations. 
do you push through it? Do you let the fear propel you forward? Or do you let the fear prevent you from taking action? And that is a question constantly to ask ourselves throughout our career and our lives is what do we do in those moments? And for me, I I have sort of a, always had a, I want to prove the world wrong sort of mentality of I want to show the world that I can do something so great. Just just wait, let me show you. And that really, that mindset really helps me as a freelancer because it helps me, even though nobody's asking me for what I do, there are not nearly as many brands as you might think that are like, Meg, we love what you're doing. Let, uh, <laughs> you know, let us sell some, some of our cakes with your diarrhea and clowns. Nobody, nobody's really saying diarrhea that. Uh, nobody's, nobody's I hope so. Not yet. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> maybe sometime. Just a question, just out of my own curiosity, just a personal, um, you said you have multiple ways of making like income and passive income. Could you like list us some of them? Because I'm sh- sure people are super interested in that. Yeah, um, there are so many ways I make passive income. <laughs> um, so I do. I'm just going to list them in the order that they come to my brain. So I do coaching through a book that I have, which is another source of passive income through a book that I have a physical and digital version of. Um, it requires a, some handholding if you want it. So I have like sort of a coaching add on to that. The coaching add on I totally created in a moment where I had to have money tomorrow. (laughs) And so I was like, how do I make money tomorrow? And so I was like, I'll start coaching. (laughs) And I turns out I really enjoy it. And so do other people. So I kept it around. Um, And so then I have the book, of course. And on top of that, I now have an online shop that I do through Printful, which is a great source of passive income. I have had and still technically do have Society6 as well. But that's less of an income earner for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do am, am working on currently I'm working on digital more digital goods like fonts and fonts and stuff. Um, and <laughs> I also and teach through so many different platforms. So I have a Skillshare class, a Britain Company class, Creative Live class. All, uh, there's a Noble class. Um, there's probably more that I'm forgetting. Those are also excellent sources of passive income. That's awesome. Yeah. That's perfect. Because <laughs> uh, I because I know you mentioned it before, and people are gonna be like, "What are the ways? What how she? How but which she do ones? That? Yeah." And I, yeah. and, and th- those are great because like, um, just being scared of not having a job, you know, but like you can rely on yourself, and you know, like things you've created years ago can still be making money for you today. So, and we, I think we kind of forget that because so much of our design is like right now we're gonna use it right now for this or right now for that, but like. There are things that I've made like a long time ago and people still ask me about it. So it's like, why not? Why not profit off of that? Absolutely. And I think a lot of times, even just things that we make that we're like, oh, I won't use this or anything, you know, or we're in the middle of a client project and we make something and then we're like, I don't think this works for this project. I don't even need to show it to them or you show it to them and maybe the in the contract, it doesn't matter. They said, no, they don't want it. And then a lot of the stuff, I know a lot of designers will take that stuff and put it on creative market and then sell it. And so, I mean, we have constantly these things that we make that we don't think are good enough, but to a non-designer, they probably are. (laughs) And those can be great sources of passive income. I've looked at a lot of like your um, talks and whatnot, and you've talked about how you've gone to a lot of workplaces and helped them like reframe their environment to ensure that their employees are genuinely happy and benefiting and actually enjoying what they do. 
Um, what are some like pointers that you would give to employers or maybe even clients to keep in mind when they're working with creatives like us? Yes. Definitely my number one piece of advice is that everyone deserves to work in an environment where they feel safe enough to be themselves. And most humans go their whole lives without being able to do that. And we set ourselves, all of us, up for failure from the interview onward because we are taught. And I have never had to interview. (laughs) And I know this is what would happen to me. But whenever we go into an interview, we turn into a sort of like professional academic version of ourselves you know, and, and we're nervous. We want to present ourselves the way that they we think they want us to. And so this perfect different version of ourselves shows up to the interview and then they hire us. And then, then what do you do? You just kind of have to pretend to continue to be that person. And how long do you do that for? Do you slowly phase your real self in or maybe you don't at all? And And so I think that the number one piece of advice I have to get is to, if you're an employer, somebody that manages other people, is to keep that in mind that we all, yourself included, deserve to work somewhere where we feel safe enough to present as ourselves. And there are so many ways that we can make people feel comfortable to do that. Um, But I do think that the number one way is to create job descriptions that are a little bit slightly more tailored to the individual and what they can offer the brand. I think it's a win-win for everybody because, you know, if we you all three of us are applying for the same job that has like bullet point description of who they're looking for we'll all match it we'll all interview and we're like pretending to be the perfect person and and they probably choose the person who pretends the best (laughs) um but if we can figure out what we can offer that's beyond those bullet points so we can say hey interviewer i can i can absolutely easily do all the stuff you want but i can also do so much more because of my personality and the fact that i'm such a people pleaser and the fact that i like to make everybody happy actually benefits you in many ways because i can also do all these other things for the brand and the community and the team um that's a reflection of what my personality is i also have these other skills i can do writing i can do public speaking so i could represent the brand and you can talk about all these other things that you can do for them and that not only helps get more out of you and the job which is great for them but it's just more fulfilling for you as a person because you're able to show up and get more of what makes you magical out into your job which ultimately leads to a more fulfilling job and yeah totally and so uh, that is most of the work that I do with teams is sitting down and helping them to utilize each person and to celebrate each person for what makes them really unique. And usually um, we find that we fill in gaps where other people can't meet. And it's just really beautiful. And we kind of get that mindset along the way of we are different as a team. Each of us is different and we can celebrate each other for being different because it allows us to do different things and then work better as a team as a whole. I really like that you mentioned that because so often, like, I mean, even when you're taught about interviewing in college for design jobs, a lot of the times they say, like, fake it till you make it. And what you just said was, like, don't do that because then that's a role you have to, like, keep for the entire time you're there. And you you should really just embrace yourself more than anything and make sure your employer, like, your employer does the same thing. Um, And I honestly, I wish I had heard this earlier on in my career because... I was stuck in an agency at an agency job and I probably would have never left had I not been laid off and I'm much happier now about it. So I'm really happy that you brought that up for junior designers to hear. Um, going off of that though, with agency life, um, they usually overwork a lot of their employees and they think the way to reward them is like 
Fridays <laughs> at five happy hour and like casual Fridays. Yeah, things like that, or even like insane amounts of like caffeine and sugary snacks. And they're even starting to say like sitting at a desk is the new smoking. Um, what would you like recommend that agencies do so that this isn't like something that continues to be a norm? Because I mean, your physical health is also something that is affected um, when it comes to your mental health. And I don't think many employers keep that in mind either. It's, you know, I think a lot, a lot of my opinion on all of this is really, it's interesting coming from somebody who's never had a job. (laughs) So it's, it's, on one hand, it's like, who am I to say? I don't even know what I'm talking about because I've never been in this situation. But I will also say I think it gives me a really interesting perspective to be able to observe these these places, these norms from the outside and question them and say, why is this happening this way? And what I've really ultimately realized when it comes to company culture, and I think a lot of agencies have this issue, is you, the secret here, and this is normally what I teach brands for like becoming a happy company, is like a lot of them are doing this thing where we know we need to be authentic. We know we need to be, you know, vulnerable as a brand and have this like great team and company culture. But what happens is we get this veil of what that means. And it looks like it's fun and inclusive on the outside. But on the inside, they're like overworking people and not paying people as well. And there's a lot of inequity issues. And, and so what I've realized is it's a matter of like trying to take the, the qualities of what a good person is. Um, which is this is totally subjective, like the qualities of what a good person is. But to me, a good person is somebody who um, supports other people who are different from them, who gives back to organizations and somebody who like lifts and supports other people up while also challenging them when they need to be challenged. And and I, I truly just think that companies need to start acting like a good person of doing what they need to do in order to actually live out those qualities a little bit more. And it's really technically that easy, but a lot of them pretend they like, so they're pretending to look like a good person and they do some of those things, but not quite all of them. And so then that's when you see, and 2020 has really shown a light on a lot of this. Is you see companies kind of like stumbling and trying to become a good person and they're not quite doing all of it. And and so I think it's about that of of truly wanting the best for the people that work for your company, because what happens, say, um, is somebody say, for example, I have a designer that works for me. Her name's Kelly. She's amazing. And say what happens is as me, Meg, as the manager of Kelly, um, what happens a lot of times as managers is Kelly or the person that's underneath the manager will say behind the scenes, like in secret, start interviewing at other jobs. And then all of a sudden Kelly comes to Meg and they're like, I just to let you know, I'm leaving. I found something else. And then the manager usually is like, oh. I'm shocked. And then the manager usually takes it personally or the company takes it personally. And they're like, okay, we got to just go through the paperwork, have the exit interview, get this person out of here, hire somebody new. And what I truly think we should do is the way that I truly think of Kelly is that I think she's incredible. She's so talented. She deserves to be so fulfilled in her career. And if that's not with me someday, if she finds something that seems more fulfilling to her, I not only will, I'm constantly looking for other opportunities for her that I think she'd be perfect for, (laughs) but I also want her to have that. I want her to keep growing and to keep finding those fulfilling opportunities. So 
that is that is a quality of a of technically a good person of wanting your team to feel fulfilled to have what's best for them as individuals and if that's not with you then that's okay as long as they're getting what they need to feel that fulfillment in their career that's that what should matter and i think brands and companies really need to start treating people that way so how do you apply that when it comes to finding what companies you're going to work with as clients is that is there like a sort of process that you go through? Yes, and and sometimes no. There's not a concrete process. Um, having worked with hundreds of brands now, I can see a lot of red flags. I have learned the intuitive nature of of that you you know sort of access once you've worked with a lot of companies, and so that helps. But I will say, just talking to the team and hearing the team talk about their work, their company, that is usually all I need. Because you can tell so quickly whenever you're just talking to somebody and they're explaining their team to you, they're explaining their managers to you, like the stakeholders of whatever you're working on. You can just tell if they are treated well, if they love where they work. And so that helps me greatly. Um, But it also helps me know with how they treat me because the way that they respect and treat their contractors or artists that they're working with really proves a lot. And it's taken me a long time to realize that the way that they treat me is actually a reflection of the company and not really a reflection of myself at all. For a long time, I took it personally of what am I doing wrong that's getting me this treatment. But of course, it's not me. It's them. So that is usually the biggest indicator of are they respecting me? Are they being transparent? Are they being really honest with me? The person that I'm working with one-on-one, are they treating me sort of on an equal level to themselves at least. And that really helps me inform me of what the vibe of the company is because that definitely, as as I've moved throughout my career, less as a problem solver and more as an artist, I get treated a completely different way now, which is very fascinating. Um, As an artist, you're kind of used a little bit more of as a tool. Um, This person that's just like coming in to make something pretty Um, whereas as a problem-solving designer, it was more of a collaborative process where we would be really working together. And I kind of had a little bit of a position of authority because I was making some really big decisions for their brand. So now as an artist, I get treated with a lot less respect very often, which is fascinating. And so that is an ultimate indicator of this sort of, I don't know, but this barometer of how respectable a company should be uh, based on how they're treating their artists. Yeah, because, I mean, I've also heard that creatives just tend to take that to heart so much more and it affects us so much more because we're just so much more in touch with our feelings. And I feel like a lot of employers don't really take that in mind either. Um, that is that is absolutely true. Uh, I had a professor like early on in college who said, uh, don't get married to your work because everything will just be so personal. And sometimes, like, I'll be at work and my supervisor or someone, you know, above me will be like, hey, I'm I'm not a big fan of what you're doing. Can we go in a different direction? And I'd be like, you know, it's nothing to do with you. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not married to it, you know. And, and they, they always think that's such a funny thing to say. But <laughs> that one little comment from that professor has stuck with me is because even though I love my work and I appreciate, you know, like being a creative and everything, but I don't connect my own self-value to whether someone likes it or not because I feel like that's it's such a dangerous road to go down like oh no one likes my work then no one likes me but it's just you know at the end of the day it just it just design it just art and letters and stuff so it's not like you as a human being 
Very well said. Yeah, I think that's something that creatives really struggle with is separating themselves from their work. And it affects you mentally so much because you make it so personal. And because you're sitting there with it for hours on end, it's almost like you're going on a date with someone, but instead it's your work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I tend to, because of my personality, I take things extreme. I'm very sensitive. I take things pretty personally, but it's less about my work and a little bit more about I am my life's calling is truly to like make the world a better happier place and my greatest fear is causing harm it has been since I was a kid if I hurt somebody's feelings it is I'm done I will I will just be inoperable for weeks or months if somebody gets upset with me because I hurt their feelings if I've like found a little crack where I accidentally slipped up and I made a mistake and I accidentally caused some harm then it just wipes me out and so sometimes whenever somebody you know says like we don't like the color scheme you chose or like that when we're not really into the purple that doesn't bother me at all because that's just a design decision but if they're like meg you totally didn't understand what i was saying to you you really missed it this time that would kill me so learning learning just how to maneuver your own personality is such an interesting thing and i think this conversation about mental health we have to bring that up because Absolutely. I I now know this about myself. I know if I receive a certain kind of response to an initial round of concepts to a client and they're like, we're really disappointed with how you presented these because we were expecting better from you. That will destroy me. And so now when that happens, I have to have I have to go into like crisis mode where I'm like, okay, you know what to do now. You need to remind yourself that blah, 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 blah. It's not you. It's them. And, you know, they're projecting their own uh, expectations of you onto yourself and so now I, I, I've kind of learned through that process and I know how to interact with myself when it happens because I, you know, as people do, they're kind of like, well, you shouldn't be that way. And they tell you why you shouldn't be that way, but it's who you are. Like, I'm not going to be able to change this. Is, I wish I could. I wish I could be less sensitive, but this is who I am. So now I just kind of have to know when it's going to happen, know what triggers it happening and learn how to properly care for myself when it is happening. I love that you brought that up. And I mean, I think if there's one thing that we all could take away from like this episode and just this interview all together is like really embrace yourself and focus on taking care of yourself and making sure you're happy. And I just wanted to thank you for joining us today because you you provided us with so much like useful information and definitely gave me a wake up call on a lot of things. So I'm really grateful that you joined us today on your Monday night. It means a lot. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Nick. We're going to take a quick break from the Test Pilots episode and talk to you a little bit about the sponsor of this episode, Skillshare. All of us here, we all know it. We're creatives. That's kind of what bounds us together. But maybe when was the last time you've actually done something super creative just for the heck of it? Just something to actually relieve stress, to do something creative. I know for me, it's been probably a long time. It's probably even been since grade school, to be honest with you. But when was the last time you just wanted to explore your creativity and be inspired by just doing? Well, Skillshare is that online learning community that is something you can try and actually see if there's some fun new ways of learning creativity. They offer a fantastic membership that's completely meaningful because, again, it's totally complimentary to you, the time you have, and the skill that you want to learn. There's so much to explore with real projects to create, and you're supporting 
fellow creatives who have put these actual courses together. Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth and learn something new at the same time. To go along with this episode, we wanted to talk to you about a very cool course that is brought to us by Sarah Beth Morgan. She is a creative art director and illustrator, and her course is called Self-Care Through Creativity, Turning Your Anxiety into Art. And that's exactly what she does. She uses very cool art therapy exercises to help pull inspiration from whatever anxiety, stress, or hurdles that you're going through at the time. This class takes you through the entire process and she breaks all of that down and helps you actually create art as a result of what you found. And along the way, you might even relieve some of that nervous energy and maybe even work, walk away with a really cool piece of art that you can show off. It has insightful interviews, really cool helpful tips in helping you set up a safe space to explore any of those emotions and how to reinvent your everyday creative process to cater to your emotional experience. So let's face it, if you are a pro at learning things or maybe just someone starting to dabble in online courses, here's a perfect place to start. You're a creative and you want to discover what you can make with classes for every skill level. Experience real improvement with hands-on projects, just like the one we said, and you'll be designing them and doing these things around your real life and finding great time to do it in big chunks or in small bite-sized kind of time zones. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when you compare it to any pricey in-person class or workshop. You have an annual subscription of about 10 bucks a month. So how do you take advantage of this? Explore all of your creativity at Skillshare.com slash DeepEnd2. You're going to get a one-month free trial membership of the premium membership. That's pretty cool. Don't forget, one month of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash DeepEnd2. Now, back to the test pilots. Okay, so... Clearly from that last episode, we learned that embracing yourself is probably one of the most important things when it comes to your mental health. And yeah, just really be yourself and love who you are. Don't try to be someone else to be a people pleaser. Um, And even if you are a people pleaser, that is okay. But remember, you are important and what you need is important. Okay. Do you want some really interesting topic? And like, actually, we should have like covered this before, but you're going to take a left turn really quickly. What do you guys think about the term toxic positivity? For some reason, that catch gets stuck in my crop more than anybody as someone who is, tries to be an optimist and positive. And I saw that whole like push recently that was like, don't be a toxic positivity person. And I was like, for, for once, I, I didn't really know if I should actually buy into that because I don't, I'm like, no. It, I don't I think, I don't think it's toxic a, positive. I don't think, I don't think that applies to you because- so, I mean, knowing you, I mean, I only know you through, you know, Zoom and these things, but yeah. yeah. Um, What I feel, what I think about when I, when when I hear that term toxic positive, which, which I mean, I feel like just like you guys have only heard recently is these guys who are not uh, legitimately happy. They're kind of like, and I mean, no one is, no one is that happy. No one can be like that all the time, but um, they kind of push it instead of like embracing their other feelings. Or like, um, it kind of like, oh, just, or, or those people go, oh, just smile. And then, you know, everything will be better. Um, that's what I think of, you know, like trying to like, you know, one of those like hustle kind of people, Yeah. just get out there, do it, be happy. Just, just be happy when you're suffering. Embrace just the be grind happy. and all yeah, that shit. Yeah, just embrace the grind, you know, but 
I feel like um, you, you're not like that, you know. And um, but because because you because I feel like you're you're actually like you know you're actually a positive person by nature, you know. And um, what you're like saying, you but but it. but you don't always talk about that. You're not out here telling you know like the audience, or you're not telling us, hey guys, just smile, just be happy. You know, you're embracing that. We go through different feelings, and you talk about your feelings too. So you're not covering anything. You're not hiding anything by this false sense of positive positivity, which is which is what I think these people are doing out there, and um, it's actually doing a lot worse because people are like, oh, if I just smile all the time or if I just act happy all the time, then no one will know what's wrong with me, and eventually I'll start feeling better. But that's not that doesn't work. You know? Yeah, I think people need to like really learn to embrace their emotions. And I know social media really makes it hard for us to like, accept the fact like, hey, if you're having a bad day, it's okay, because you guys need to remember like, what you see on social media isn't actually what's probably going through someone's life. There's a lot of stuff they're not showing. Yeah. And like, honestly, I think we kind of need to be more transparent and see more of that, like that authenticity isn't there as much. And it definitely impacts people's lives um, and their mentality a ton, especially as designers. Like we see people constantly throwing out content, but I really think that having a healthy balance is important because it influences your work and also inspires you more than anything. I just think that when things are rough, when, when things, this has always been my perspective is that when things are rough, sometimes you're just, you're just on a bad situation like you're just in here's like this is like a weird extended metaphor but i went skiing with my dad and i accidentally brought him down a tougher trail than we wanted to go down and it ended up being a double you know it was really tough and not that we couldn't handle it but it was like just not what we were looking for and i remember i was like maybe we could find an easier way down and well, this is a great metaphor actually and I tried to find an easier way that was like just a cat trail or like I found try to find a way that would be like where there are less moguls. And then at a certain point, I was like, actually, this is the only way down is what the trail that we're on right now. I remember I was like, well, he could get really mad at me right now and we're still going to have to go down this trail. But also we could get really, he could stay positive. We're still going to have to get down to the bottom of the trail, but maybe by the end of it, will stay positive. And that's kind of always been my mantra. Maybe that dips into the toxic positivity thing. But to me, that's just positivity. It's you're in a bad situation and trying to stay optimistic and kind of laugh at yourself in the face of how shitty it is, is kind of tints it yellow instead of tints it, you know, gray or whatever color is sadness. Well, I actually like this analogy that you set up because (laughs) it's so great because it's, I mean, I get how we're trying to steer away from the whole concept of toxic positivity, but I think it's the whole concept of like making the best out of the situation. You can either keep complaining or you can be proactive and look at it a different way. And at the end of it, you need to remember like, yes, it's going to be difficult, but once you've surpassed that obstacle in your life and you've gone past it, it, it looks like it was so easy Or if anything, you feel a lot more proud of yourself or you realize like, hey, no, this has helped me become. Yeah, I think that the the biggest thing that I'm always constantly fighting and I do this with my weirdly enough, this is a design podcast, by the way, but weirdly enough, I do this with my sketchbook is I hate the term effortless because I really don't think anything in this world is effortless, anything good in this world. 
everything takes effort. And a lot of the difference between my painting being eh and stuck in the ugly phase and getting over the hump and being great is effort. And it always, what really, you know, what really bugs me is when people try to uh, make something seem like, oh, this just flopped onto the paper. And it's like, did it though? It, it probably didn't. You probably worked your ass off or you've done 50 versions of it. And the one that this one came out, like even those like effortless looking uh, singular line drawings, of, like faces or hands, you know, you know, the ones I'm talking about, you've yeah, all absolutely. over Instagram. Like those ones, it's like you didn't see the 70 other ruined pieces of paper and like all of the cost that went into it and all the practice. Instead, you see the one perfect one that went on Instagram. And that is what bugs me. Because like, if you can't show your ugly ass sketchbook, then then what are you trying, who are you trying to fool? Who are you trying, you're just, all you're doing is setting a bad example for, for younger people, I think. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I would much rather see someone's progress yeah. than just the end product. Cause it's always like, it's so much more satisfying seeing how they got exactly, there right? rather than just like the finished product. To, to tie this back to um, our talk with Meg Lewis, um, what I, what I feel like what one point she covered is her journey to being the type of artist or designer she is now is um, she went through a lot of the same ways that we go through now. She was a UX person. She was a product design person. She did a bunch of different things, you know, and she worked for, clients and did logos and everything um but she had to go through this journey you know where even though she might have she became a more skilled graphic designer she didn't become the type of designer that she actually wanted to be you know and she talks about that how she had to look back at her work and see okay this is what i like doing this is what i was best at this is what i gave me the most you know like joy and then she was, okay, why don't I just double down on that? And what happened because of that is um, she was able, like a lot of people, they feed off of that. You know, when people see you doing something that you actually enjoy, that you're, you're only doing it because you want to do it and you love doing it. I feel like it attracts other people. So now because of that, you know, she's become like, a, she's like, a, she's an author. She's a, she's a coach. She does like, you know, a million different things. Um, you know, she's on podcasts. She's like, a, she's almost, she's, she's a comedian basically. Cause she just, you know, she has like this positive energy and she can make people laugh. Um, so she's become like this personality that's fully herself. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I'll just speak from my own experiences. Um, so many times, like I'll just be on social media and I'm like, Oh, I, I want to be that kind of a designer. And then I'll see something else. I'll be like, Oh, I want to do that too. And I'll see something and then I'm like, I'm just going through this thing of, but then I look at my own work, you know, I look at my own style. I'm like, hey, this is my own style. You know, this is something that I'm working on. Um, and all of that, it's just, you know, it's all in your head. It's all it's all part of your mental health of um, is this if what, what I'm doing? Is this is this good for me personally? You know, because so many times we're thinking about our careers and our jobs. But I think sometimes we should just think, hey, do I even like doing this? Um, there is actually a question that we meant to ask Kate, but we ran out of time. And instead, she had like written us this beautiful answer. And it was amazing because we touched base on how much social media impacts designers and their mentality. And it's also just the factor of like, so how so often young designers in the industry catch themselves comparing themselves to other designers. And something that she's going to touch on is how you shouldn't compare yourself 
to what other designers are doing, but more so appreciate it and then really embrace yourself for what your specialty is. And that's something that Meg also touched on. I'm going to drop that in right here. So we just finished up with Kate, but she did get back to us on another important point that she really wanted us to focus on, um, which was how much pressure designers feel through social media and just the competition that's really there in our industry. This is coming from Kate. One of the greatest gifts I've given myself in my career with my mental health is letting go of any idea of a competitive landscape. That's not to say I won't try my absolute best to land a dream job, but I just stopped comparing myself to others and started appreciating design and designers for their own creativity. Each of us is so uniquely talented, and it is the sum of those unique talents that create rich designs we experience every day. When I see an amazing piece of design, let's say a new title credit to show a movie that just blows me out of the water, something my creative brain would never come up with. Rather than filling my head with negative self-talk, I allow myself to really enjoy the piece, to study it, to reveal in the creativity and the technical skills it must have have taken. And by using that approach, I invite myself to be proud of the team who created it rather than envious of them. Creativity isn't pie. When one of us has it in abundance, that doesn't mean that others have less. This approach trickles down into my creative teams. Rather than pegging one designer against another to try to force good work through competition, I cultivate good work through collaboration and encourage support through positive reinforcement. As for career growth, it can be difficult to see folks advancing faster than you might be, but I try to remember that everything happens exactly the way it should. When I left college, I had a classmate who went straight to a job at Apple. In 2006, and still today, that was a big feather in their cap. And I remember feelings of envy and discontent at my own career prospects. Negative self-talk like the, how did they land that job? And I'm still scrambling for my first full-time gig. But today, this person is still at Apple. They've spent 14 years at the same place and have helped craft the design of a generation of usability tools. What an amazing career. But I look at the rich diversity of jobs I've had through my own career, the experiences I've had, the people I've been able to work with and learn from, and the industries I've been able to tap into. All the experiences shape the way I'm able to lead my own agency now. I wouldn't trade that experience for a single company career path. It wouldn't have been for me, and I can see that that clearly in hindsight. All of that is to say, focus on your own path in front of you and don't worry about where others are walking. You will get where you are intended to go only by your own drive and ambition and not by coveting the path of another. That is such a well-written summation of how to have a good perspective on social media. What a great, what a great point. I think um, at the same time, I mean, I can remember it clear as day. Uh, the One of the, the, probably the best girl in the year I graduated graphic design, she went and she worked at this amazing agency. And I remember feeling just so jealous and so like poisoned in my mind. And then I went and landed my job. And then it was like, I stopped thinking about it. And I remember it's like, what does it matter to me if they, if they're happy or they're not happy or they are having a job at Apple or they're having a job at whatever place? Uh, it's not affecting me. It's not making me more money. It's just making me more sad. And in the end, you should just having a little bit more positivity. It seems like such a better kind of approach if you're going to have any approach to it, right? Oh, absolutely. This is actually one of the biggest problems I face as a designer. I constantly, like, this is me being completely vulnerable and honest here and transparent. Um, 
I I'm have those days where I'm depressed because I'm constantly comparing myself to other designers. And yeah. more than anything, this response was honestly a wake up call um, yeah. and something I really need to be a lot more mindful on and be a lot more positive than anything and be happy for people and their success and just understand that my path and journey is going to be my path and journey and theirs is theirs and that's completely okay. Yeah. And you can wave as you sail by each other. It doesn't doesn't take anything else from you. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, that was beautifully said. Yeah. And I absolutely love what Kate had to say. I like want it on a poster at this point, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny being around people. I remember um, certain people growing up, like in, in elementary school especially, and even in middle school, who had such a strong grasp on who they are as a person like can you like think back to like when you were younger and those people who like they already knew that whether it was that they like were quirky or they were they were uh nerdy or they were all these things that weren't even considered like the apex of popularity but they just knew that's who they were and they had kind of like reached that stage of almost like enlightenment so much earlier and like it sounds like that's what you know, Meg and Kate both have, they both have kind of, you know, fought that battle and won and understand like, you know, this is, this is me. And I think we're all kind of going through that as much as possible. Yeah. And I think the one thing I liked most that they both touched on, especially Kate was embrace your journey and don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you've been at a job for like, 10 to 14 years, or if you're constantly changing jobs every year because you like that change, it's okay. At the end of the day, it's your journey and not someone else. So just focus on what you're doing because, I mean, it's your life. It's your career. And that's what matters most at the end of the day, what you're going through. So let's dive into it. This is our interview with Kate O'Connell from Still We Persist Agency. Okay, guys. So we're back with the test pilots, myself, Rubai, and... Michael Burpo. Are here with Kate O'Connell from Still We Persist Agency, a progressive feminist agency. Um, we're going to be talking about mental health today in the design community. Um, before we get started on that, Kate, do you mind giving us a little intro on what you do? Yeah. Um, so I am one of the founding partners and the executive creative director of Persist. We are a progressive agency. We work only with, uh, exclusively with activist organizations and nonprofits that are values aligned with our beliefs. Um, So we base all of our work on feminist theory, um, civil rights, uh, racial equity, and environmental justice. It's really exciting. So great. Um, Okay, so let's just dive in. Um, So When it comes to design, there's a lot of junior designers out there who suffer when they first enter the design industry um, from long hours to competition with each other um, and trying to maintain a healthy work-life balance. Can you share an experience or a time you felt your mental health was suffering due to your work and how did you deal with it? Yeah, um, it is a... It is a tough market to break into. And so I really, I really feel for everybody that is just starting out their careers. Um, It is a really stressful um, 
and really rewarding career trajectory, career opportunity for young designers. Um, mental health is something that I feel really strongly about. And as a creative director myself, now I really work hard with my team to make sure that everybody um, is feeling good so that they can produce the best work possible. Um, as for myself, some of my own experiences, I have suffered from chronic depression my whole life. Um, and so a lot of the obstacles that I faced in the workplace were really exasperated by those symptoms of depression, like fatigue, a hard time concentrating, anxiety, doubt of myself, um, insomnia, all of these things that just really make going to a regular job kind of tough. Uh, and so kind of that transition from being in college and having a looser schedule to working that sort of nine to five, it was really difficult for me in the beginning. Um, a sort of worst case example, uh, I was working at an agency that sort of no matter how many long nights I pulled, how much praise I got from clients, the leadership team always had a way to sort of keep me down. And because of my depression, that, I mean, as far as I was concerned, it was like, I wasn't working hard enough. I wasn't doing enough, even though I would look around the office and see like, I'm busting my ass compared to a lot of the people that I'm working with. Um, and so it, it's almost like a, it's almost like an abusive relationship with yourself. Yeah. That's why yeah. like, I feel like a lot yeah. of people don't really wrap their minds around. It's not, it's like, it's not anything that you're doing wrong. It's not anything anyone else is doing wrong. It's just like, you're fighting yourself almost. Yeah. It's also just like the fact, the factor that you're trying to like strive to better yourself and your career so much that you kind of put your own health in the back burner. Yeah. Which is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and you, Michael, you hit the nail on the head with that abusive relationship. And I was fortunate enough at that time that I had a great therapist and they really helped me sort of take that, that idea that I wasn't good enough, that I was, that I was the problem and reframe it for me. And what we sort of discovered and what was confirmed with some of my peers is that that abusive relationship was coming from the agency and they were actually like there were some really toxic people at the top and so oh, yeah. i was able to realize that wasn't me but it took a lot of work and it took working with somebody else with an outside perspective to understand that actually i'm doing really well and the agency wasn't really supporting um, a healthy work environment. So uh, there's a common perception uh, that you kind of have to mortgage your um, happiness, healthiness, whatever term you want to use um, early on in your career as a young designer in order to to steepen your, prog uh, your progress or your um, career trajectory or anything, whatever metaphor we're using right here, to you're kind of selling your time early in order mm -hmm. to get ahead faster. Um, as someone who's kind of gotten there, whatever there is, um, faster or as fast as possible, is that the case? Do you think that um, with a you know that terrible situation that you're in, having a really tough in a toxic workplace, has that actually made you uh, the designer you are today, or was that kind of like driving through the bumpiest road possible just to get to the same spot? I think that that particular instance was an amazing learning experience in my career trajectory of like what not to do from leadership. Um, yeah. They were very focused on their own 
their own interests and not on the mental health and well-being of their workers. And so that gave me this idea as a boss that uh, I will never be that person. Um, but as far as my own yeah. like my own trajectory, the hustle is real. Um, I've always been a really fiercely independent person, and so I was never really set up uh, in my own sort of working style to be just like a worker bee who isn't going to just try for more and more and more, you know? Um, but that isn't necessarily what got me ahead or got me sort of uh, on the career trajectory that I had. Much more for me was finding strategic opportunities uh, that would allow me to sort of learn more faster from someone better. And so that was a lot of people hesitate about career or um, job switching too much. For me, the first 10 years of my career, I switched jobs probably every year and a half to two years because I found these really strategic opportunities that would allow me to learn more about UX and UI, learn more about the entertainment industry, learn more about traditional advertising. Like I, I really wanted to absorb as much knowledge as possible and to work with really, really good creative directors as often as possible. So sort of once I figured out that I had learned what I could from my current position or my current boss, I would get that sort of drive to look for something more. What's next? What's bigger? What's better? What can get me further ahead um, that will actually like nourish part of me, that will nourish like that, um, that, that knowledge, that um, quest for knowledge, like that's really what drove me in my career trajectory rather than just like busting my ass moonlighting at 3 a.m. while I had a nine to five as well. Well, since you've been at like, it sounds like you've worked at so many different agencies. Um, what do you think an agency or workplace can do to implement, implement better programs or resources for their employees' mental health? That is such an amazing question. Um, I mean, it's something that isn't it isn't even just in our industry, it's every industry. And especially in America, we have such a poor system of uh, health services and mental health services set up. I mean, we could get into universal healthcare and I would love to talk to you all about the benefits of that all day, um, but that's not really why we're here. Um, it's really it's really nuanced and really tricky. And I, I would give the advice to every agency trying to figure out how to best support their um, their workers by talking to experts. This isn't a problem that is up to us to solve. It isn't a problem that's up to a creative director or a CEO to solve because there are already people who understand this so well. So we think of things that uh, larger agencies or organizations do like ha let's all get together and have a wellness day and we'll all like spend time out of work and together and get to know each other and stuff that all sounds really nice but it doesn't necessarily take into account people's personal traumas their personal triggers uh it can cross boundaries that people that we don't know about because all of us live these sort of rich lives on our own um so i think Providing amazing healthcare and amazing health coverage is probably the best thing that people can do, that agencies can do. 
Um, my last job, the the therapist, when I switched jobs, my therapist got my new insurance and was like, oh my God, you have the best insurance I've ever seen for healthcare because there weren't limitations on it. There's so many stupid things in insurance that like you you only get five therapy appointments or something like that. Like just an amount that won't help anybody at all if they're actually dealing with serious ongoing mental health issues. Um, so just being conscious from from those sort of policy making perspectives. Um, and then as as a leader, I like to um, be vocal in a way that isn't isn't putting my issues on anybody, but that just uh, acknowledges that mental health issues are okay. And it's things like my therapy appointments are in my calendar. And if somebody says, hey, can we have a meeting during that time? I can say, no, sorry, my therapy is at that time. And that sort of indicates to my coworkers and to my team that you won't be stigmatized you won't be docked you won't be pinged like we won't think anything less of you if you also take care of your mental health during work hours um that's something that i think is so important just modeling good behavior yeah i think a lot of like create creative directors and like leaders kind of need to show that so that people feel more comfortable with being transparent about the fact that they're receiving that help that they need for their mental health and that it's okay and it yeah. should be normalized. Yeah. yeah. And and I can I would like to just say to like we got a lot of male listeners and I'm sure there's and there's a ton of male young designers out there and I'll just talk to them really quickly and say just as like for once in my life I get to be the only guy uh <laughs> and I'll say there's nothing weak or um you know admitting defeat to be a male or a guy and be uh, going to therapy. I think that mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, that, uh, you know, toxic masculinity, but whatever you want to call it, um, that you can't go and seek help. Or even if you're doing okay, you can also still go to therapy. It's, it's also like preventative maintenance. It's like stretching. And I think that um, I turned a real corner when during the pandemic, when I started going to therapy and I could have sat there and just, um, you know, drank or I could have sat there and uh, just painted like I was doing. And that was my coping mechanism. But I really think that um, guys in general, like uh, someone put like, yo, I don't date guys that don't go to therapy. And I was like, <laughs> honestly, not a not a bad bar to line to draw. I think it's like I think everyone should be to at least look into it or try it. out. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My husband is a therapist. And I so I also oh, cool. don't date guys that don't go to therapy. He is a therapist. He has his own therapy. <laughs> um, it's, it's remarkable. The, the amount of work therapists can do with a person who is just struggling with like, interpersonal relationships at work, or finding a career trajectory that actually works for them or struggling with with a you know power dynamic in work therapists are there for for your exploration of who you are as a person it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you it means that you understand you can't do this on your own um, one of the things that my therapist says that I love so much is you can't hold a mirror up to the back of your own head. You have to have somebody else there to look around you to see what else is going on in your life 
And a therapist can just provide that as, as like the bare minimum. If you're just not quite getting there in your life, have somebody hold that mirror up for you. I really like that. Um, I mean, like, it's been a tough year for us all with like COVID and everything. And I feel like the creative industry has been impacted greatly just because they say creatives are a lot more emotional and they're more in touch with what they're going through a whole lot more. And um, with that said, the considering the creative industry is really being impacted by it, um, how have you taken care of your mental health during the pandemic? It's It's been really hard. It really has. I was fortunate enough that I was already working remote and Persist was already a remote agency prior to the pandemic. So I didn't have that huge work-life shift. Um, but the isolation is real. That's really real. And the exhaustion, um, it's... I've been trying to give myself as much grace as possible. And one of the biggest tools I've used is mindful medi mindfulness meditation um, to just sort of reset my day, reset myself when I'm feeling isolated, alone, when I'm getting brain fog, when I'm forgetting who I am and what people look like. Um, mindfulness really helps me sort of recenter and it can be a five minute meditation, it could be a 30 minute meditation, but just sort of um, the, the metaphor that I like the most in mindfulness is that you, you allow yourself to sit on the bank of the river and watch everything flow by rather than feel like you're stuck in the middle of the current and um, fighting against the river to get through your day. So it's just that little bit of a reset that mindfulness like allows allows you to do and then everything feels a little bit lighter and everything feels a little bit more um available to you like it, it in your mind um it's really it's a, been a really helpful tool i really like that like you're focusing on your own like aspect of being mindful and aware of yourself how do you think that employers or clients could do that for their employees um uh, that's another really big one. I really, um, so the advertising agency or the advertising world, I think is, is particularly toxic to um, the workforce. There is this trickle down effect that comes from clients uh, where they want something and they want it done now and they want it done the right way or their their way, I'll say. And that gets pushed onto the agency leads and they have this really intense pressure of um, if we don't get this done for them and if we don't get it done right now, they're going to find somebody else. And so then they put that down onto their junior designers and their junior staff members. Like if you don't get this done now, we're gonna find someone else. And it's just this immense pressure. And I think, I, I mean, I would love to radically transform that entire agency model and agency structure. And at Persist, we do some work in that area. It's really hard because it, it goes all the way up to the client. Um, but like, for instance, we don't do pitch decks uh, with spec work in them. And I think that's a really big, step that I wish the entire agency world would take on. Um, it just, it takes pressure off of the juniors and mid-level designers 
that they feel like they have to perform at peak level or the entire agency is going to collapse. It's sort of this like this unrealistic uh, expectation from people who are just starting out their careers. Um, but I was going to say it can traumatize a person as soon as they jump into the whole agency life. Like I know I was traumatized initially because I wasn't expecting it when I first jumped in there. But then you realize it's just a norm and it's oh, kind yeah. of just what almost all agencies do. And that's really scary. Yeah. And I was like leaning, leaning on like, I, I don't want to say substances, but I was like just drinking incredible amounts of yeah. coffee. And, yeah. you know, that's like the most mild when it, when it comes to uh, coping mechanisms. But it's like, I remember it was my f- first year out of college and I thought that the way to get ahead was to just work, you know, 70 hours a week or 80 hours a week or whatever it was going to be. And I remember I finally like got a real like wake up call when I went to have my first dental appointment and they were like, you know, your uh, teeth are wearing down really fast. Are you... Oh. um?" drinking like tons of coffee. And I was like, I don't know. It depends on what you mean by ton. And they were like, like more than five cups a day. And I was like, oh yeah, definitely <laughs> more than that. That's uh, so much. Well, I mean, yeah. well, it's, it's crazy because it's, you kind of start to have it be a norm where you rely on coffee or like sugary foods. And I mean, when I worked in an agency, we had like Fridays at five where it's like, okay, you're going to drink. And then it's just like, that also leads to substance abuse yeah. in the industry. And I think that's a big problem as well. Cause you shouldn't be falling back on alcohol to try and help you get through it either. So Maybe just yeah. lessen um, up the work a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or have a bigger bandwidth and more people. Yeah, and, and saying no to work and working within your capacity, um, I think is so important. I think that it needs to come from the client level, though, because at, at, the, at the same time that we are all trying to transform the way that agencies work, if the client isn't going to pay because they can find someone to do it cheaper, faster, dirtier, whatever, who doesn't actually care about their workforce, the clients are going to go there unless we, we actually stand up and say, like, this is an unhealthy cycle. It is a cycle of abuse and it starts and ends with who has the most power and the power dynamic is heavily tilted towards the client. Um, I, I want to touch on one other thing, though, about being mindful of the creative or being mindful of the mental well-being of employees. Um, I think especially in the last year and a few months, um, we've seen a lot of outspoken um, outspoken work around marginalized groups, and we've seen a lot of trauma around marginalized groups. And I think it's really important for at an agency level from the absolute top down that um, that folks understand the impact that the world around us has on our employees. So if we're looking at like what just happened in Atlanta in the shooting, the AAPI and especially AAPI women on a workforce might be feeling really particularly triggered and traumatized. And that cultural trauma may impact their ability to focus. It may impact their ability to be creative. It takes up a huge portion of, of somebody's brain when there's a cultural trauma that is taking place in front of their eyes. And so I think it's also very, very important from the organizational perspective that we recognize and 
allow space for those kinds of incidences. You don't have to go in and tokenize. You don't have to go to every Asian American employee and say like, how are you feeling today? But just recognize that there is cultural trauma happening and ask people, is there a way I can help you feel feel more supported? Is there something that you need? If not, absolutely great. Let's keep going with our day. But just so you know, you have that support within our system. Yeah, giving people the day to have like a mental health day when their people are going through something so traumatic. I think that's something that employers really need to keep in mind because you don't have control of what's happening in the outside world. And they don't have control of it either. So the least thing you can do is give them the time to really let it sink in and just feel their emotions, not just have them work through them because that's more damaging than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And just, and you know, I'm a, a white woman as a business owner. I need to continue to educate myself about those kinds of cultural traumas or cultural incidences that's my job. That's my job to do. It's not on me to come talk to anybody in one of those marginalized groups and say, tell me about this. How does this feel? You know, it is my job to be um, culturally sensitive, to have cultural intelligence and to know the appropriate lengths in which I uh, offer support to folks. Just as we kind of round the corner on this um, little talk or getting a chance to catch up with you. Um, I love the idea of perspective. And I feel like kind of a lot of this podcast is centered around having perspective, being in the thick of it and looking back and as well as getting out of the thick and looking back at what it was like when you're in the middle. Um, I was, I, I love, you know, the idea of like one, three, five years. Um, I'm definitely not the same person as I was at three years ago or, or even one. And I was wondering if you could change, um, what is like, do you have any little bite-sized information that you would love to be able to give to a past version of yourself, like at any age that you think would really cut the corner or kind of speed up the growth a little bit so that they wouldn't spend so much time in the middle of the thick? Yeah. Um, I think it would be communicating more about my own needs. Um, I started doing that in, in the last few positions that I had before I got into leadership. Um, there was, for example, I had an office that was in the center of a building and had no windows and no uh, natural light coming in. And that messed me up as far as like season- seasonal depression stuff. It like, I couldn't deal with it. I felt like I was living in this sort of black hole. And I actually spoke up and said something to them and said, you know, I'm not asking for Uh, the fanciest corner office with windows, but I need to be able to have natural light. And so those kinds of speaking up, um, like just feeling empowered to speak up and to speak for yourself, I think is really important. Um, The same with like unsustainability in the amount of work that you have on your plate. I never said to somebody, I'm sorry, I can't get that done. It was always like, all right, let's get it done. And I wish that I had spoken up in a more productive way. um, Saying things like, I already have XYZ on my plate. So this deadline won't be doable for me. Is there any flexibility with the deadline? Is there any flexibility with these other projects? 
Or can I help onboard somebody else to take some of this weight off of me? That is perfectly acceptable. It offers solutions, it offers boundaries, and it makes your bosses or your team members understand that you are a person with capacity and you can't always get everything done. We are not machines. We are creative individuals. I absolutely love the fact that you touched on that because that was actually something I had trouble kind of like voicing when I first started as a junior designer because you're so new to the industry that you just feel like you have to say yes to everything and you've provided solutions on how junior designers can actually approach those situations. Um, Because I've had the same situation where it was just a dark office because we're in entertainment and it's so important to get that sunlight. It does so much for your mental health and makes you feel so much more positive. So absolutely love that you touched on that. One thing I've learned is like there are life hacks and I think that therapy is definitely one of them. And I think that another one that doesn't cost anything is just drinking water. And I also think that it's just as simple as like getting sleep. And I wish I could, I think I would be such a better designer in college if I had just slept a little bit more instead of trying to grind through. I think my work would have been so much higher quality. I think I would have been just a nicer person in general if I had just allowed myself an extra hour a night sleep instead of trying to get that extra hour of work in. It, it, it wasn't a one-to-one trade-off. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... All of it is self-care and remembering that we are all in this because we are creative and we're passionate about what we are making and about being artists. That That is something that comes from deep within us. That is something that comes from like deep within our soul. We aren't number crunchers. We aren't just putting together, you know, assembly line. We are people that need that rejuvenation. We need that that downtime to refill the creative well. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the balance is so important. Making sure that you have a life outside of your work is so crucial because it influences your work at the end of the day. Well, with that said, um, we do have personal lives that we need to get back to. So um, how about we wrap this up? Thank you so much, Kate, for, for joining us. Honestly, I think that you... It sounds like you have like the most um, uh, articulate way of speaking about mental health that I've talked to. I feel like a lot of times people are really wrapping uh, mental health up into something that's like a heady topic. And in the end, it, it seems like it's like, no, you do actually need to kind of focus on yourself. You do need to, act, you're not just a mindless machine. You need to actually work on improving yourself and making sure that you are healthy. And I feel like that is the way that I want to approach my mental health as well is like, you know what? It's something you got to work on internally. You got to work on external. I, I love it. It's a great, great way to think about it. I'm really grateful that you joined us today because you provided solutions for the junior designers who don't really know how to handle these situations. So it means a lot. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. It's been really wonderful. I think the one thing I definitely got from that was that therapy is something that we should all really consider and be very transparent about. Um, You can push your work meeting if you have a therapy appointment definitely prioritize that over talking to a client because it's just really important for yourself. I think a lot of people uh, don't get into therapy. Actually, I don't know about a lot of people. I can say a lot of guys, the reason why they (laughs) don't get into therapy is the first two steps are really 
daunting and difficult. At least, I can, again, only can speak for white men, I guess. And the first one is you have to admit that you're not doing great. And I had this struggle in the pandemic. And I had to, I remember I had to have a conversation with my mom. And like my family is very like just like tough, mentally uh, minded. And like I rely on a lot. But I had to say to my mom and dad, hey, I'm not doing great. I want to go see a therapist. And I remember my mom took it really well. And I asked her, I was like, the thing I need to do, which happens to be step number two, is how do you find a therapist, man? It's hard. No one admits that. It's really hard. And like, it, I, is. it was like so bad. And I, I was like, I need someone to help me find a therapist because I don't even know where to begin. And all the props in the world of my mom, she actually really helped me out and found it online. And you basically Skype with someone for 45 minutes and you just, it's the first time I ever talked to someone about myself for that long, because I don't like talking about myself. I'd rather talk to people and I can carry a conversation. I don't talk about me. And I remember, dude, that's, no one wants to do those things, at least guys don't want to do those first two steps. It's, I mean, I can relate, um, as a person of color, like culturally, like I'm Indian. So talking about your feelings, isn't really something we do. You're you're kind of just expected to bottle it up. And over the years I've realized like, it's not healthy to do that. And it's made it harder for me to like be transparent with my parents on like personal things and whatnot. And I mean, the biggest issue I had when it first came to like finding a therapist was also trying to find one that's affordable because I would have to do it all on my own because my parents wouldn't take therapy seriously. Um, So, I mean, I'm hoping that this past year has taught the United States or most countries that, hey, therapy should be something that should be implemented or like provided by companies and be a lot more affordable because I think that's one of the biggest obstacles today is finding therapy services that are affordable for people, especially people who are so young in the industry who are already stressing enough to try and like cover their rent. Yeah. They say that, I mean, I heard somewhere in a different podcast, it's actually, I'm going to shout it out. It's um, Pivot by with Scott Galloway and um, Kara Swisher. And it's all about tech and business, blah, blah, blah. One thing he makes an emphasis on, and he's a, you know, an older white dude that's in business. He makes an emphasis to talk about those kinds of things. And one thing he says is, uh, what is it that they tell you all the time on airplanes in the event of emergency, fix your own mask first. So take that metaphor and go on and be like, there's nothing wrong with fixing your own mask and making sure that you're okay. And then going on to help other people or, or focusing on the situations at hand. Sometimes you need to focus on you first. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with you on that. There's um I don't know, do you guys know who Tyson Fury is? Yeah, I love yes. him. I love him. Yeah, Tyson Fury, um I mean for those of you who don't know, he's he's a boxer. Um he's English. Um he's British actually. Yeah. Um so um I was, you know, he's such a funny guy, like, you know, if you've seen him like, you know, box. Looks like the most he's... average man ever. Yeah. He just happens to be the and, best. And and he just he just looks like some guy off the street. I mean yeah. he doesn't look like some any guy, but like he just looks like but and he's like an amazing boxer. And I found this interview, um, and he's done a couple by now, um, where he was just talking about his difficulty with mental health. And his whole thing was, he's on top of the world, literally. He's a world champion. He has all the money. He has a beautiful family. He has loving 
people around him. He has kids. He has, you know, great friends. And even with all that in his life, you know, which which are, I feel like, things that we think, okay, if we have all those things, then we're happy. We're set, you know. And um, even with all those things, he was, like, depressed. Like, he was manically, like, he was... His whole thing, when you when you can you, you guys can look up this you know this interview, but it was all about like even if he had all this thing, he felt so alone. He felt so, you know, trapped in his own mind. So he had to do, he had to go. You know, it's something that it's a common theme that we keep hearing about substance abuse and you know just bottling up all your emotions. And you know, he he thinks of himself as like one of the strongest people in the world. So he can't like, you know, it's not easy for him to talk about his feelings and stuff, but which was actually leading to his destruction. You know, even though he's a top tier athlete and is healthy as anyone, you know, anyone could be uh, mentally, he was not healthy at all. So if someone that is as strong and as powerful and as well known as Tyson Fury can admit publicly that they need help, that they need someone to help them, you know, get to a certain point, um, I don't know any other guy that, you know, has an excuse about looking weak or looking like, yeah. uh, oh, what are guys going to say about me? What are my parents going to say about me? Like, don't think about that. You the know, I say that from from world. a cultural point, you yeah. know, like an Armenian household, Armenian cultural point where um, we never talk about this. I remember the first time I, 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 I've actually brought this up with my friends and talking about mental health and talk about my own experiences. And they're like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. You know, I've gone through that same thing, too. But um, no one ever tells us to talk about it. Like, we don't talk about it in our families. It's not an accepted thing. So personally, for myself, I found it more helpful to talk about it with my friends, you know? And I think that's fine, too. And, and um, you know, not everyone has that family experience where they can just go and be open and um, don't feel bad about that. You know, one day you might be. But um, if, you, if, you, if you have to talk to your friends, you know, before you talk to a professional, then um, I think that's fine, too. You know, as long as... Whoever f- makes you feel comfortable enough to be open about this, because I think that's the most important thing. It's not actually who you talk about, but it's more like what you're talking about. And if there's someone that you can talk about what you're going through, I think that's the biggest first step into helping you, you know, get some help and start feeling better. Well, going off of that, um, I think that's something that the design community really needs to emphasize on because. Personally, I feel like mental health isn't touched on enough. And what I'm hoping our listeners will really get from this episode and listening to these two interviews is that it's okay to set those boundaries. And if you're working at an agency or on your own, or you have a client that doesn't understand, but you have a life to live and you're also going through things, it's time you set those boundaries. Because at the end of the day, it's only going to hurt you in the long run. And you need to remember that your mental health and how you're feeling is priority over getting your work done. And oh, yeah. that's something that I, I like loved that Kate really emphasized on. Um, I mean, the fact that she tells her entire agency, like, hey, guys, we can't have that meeting. I have a meeting with my therapy a therapist instead. That is something that I think needs to be more transparent and okay to say in the workplace. And I'm really hoping that junior designers take that from this episode and learn to set those boundaries. Definitely. Can we really quickly, I mean, so Kate mentions it about substance abuse and I know it's sort of like a, a touchy subject because, you know, this is something I'd love to talk. When people say t- uh, substance abuse, immediately, 
or, or just even just abuse in general, they, immediately it seems to go to like, oh, they're using like hard drugs. Like, oh, he's addicted to heroin. That's not it, always. Or, or something like that. And it's, or, or, or it goes to alcohol if they don't seem like that. But you can be reliant and just filling the holes in your life with anything. And so during the start of quarantine, and I, I mentioned being addicted to painting or just relying on painting. So I, I ended up talking to this therapist and I was like, all I'm doing every day is just painting a ton and smoking a ton of weed. Those are the only ways I can shut my brain off during. And I was like, and she's like, what does your brain do when you're not doing that? I'm like, well, I'm thinking about a million things. Like, is my mom, is my mom going to get sick? Is my dad going to get sick? Is my grandma going to get sick? Both my brothers. Um, is the world going to collapse? Is it going to be apocalyptic? Like it, I could go on for hours for the things that are in my brain, but when I go to paint or when I go to smoke, immediately I can shut those things off and then I can sit there and watch a TV show for once. And she said, I'll never forget it. She's like, those things are not bad for you. You're not, you're lucky that those are your crutches because there are way worse crutches to have. Yeah. And then she said, like, if you lean on them too much, though, then they're going to lose their luster and then they become just like any addiction. But having those be your supplements and then fixing the things as well, I think that's good. And I think I was just realizing it's good to sit and think in your brain occasionally, not all the time, but I think it's good to just have a moment where you I think we're just distracted by our phones all the time. Sometimes thinking in your head is okay, but when you get caught up, it's okay to get away for a bit. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I can relate. Um, and I mean, Kate mentioned it too, especially because she comes from agency life. When you had your crazy work week at the end of the week, it's like you had your Fridays at five and you'd get alcohol that on the house from the agency. But I mean, that could lead to some serious problems. So finding an alternative that's healthy is good for you and having a healthy crutch is so important versus something that is literally going to make your body deteriorate yeah yeah it was just like what i started thinking about for some reason what like really came about and i was trying to talk this through with with my therapist i was like i'm worried i'm painting too much she's like why do you think that and i'm like well i learned that vincent van gogh you know, he, the year he was committed to a psych ward, he painted 400 paintings in one year, 400 paintings. That's more, that's more than one a day. So he was just a maniac painting. And I was like, you know, I'm painting three a week or sometimes four a week. I was like, maybe I'm turning into Vincent Van Gogh and I'm <laughs> going to become like a maniac. And she's like, that's like kind of complimenting yourself a little bit too much. I think you're <laughs> fine. And I was like, uh, that's fair. <laughs> so I put it in perspective for me. That's funny, yeah. yeah. But it's it's funny, like uh, how Vincent Van goes like this. People always talk about him, um, like as this great artist, you know, changed art or whatever. Yeah. But uh, no one talks All about the fact it. that he was so mentally unhealthy. Like um, he had he. I mean, he was mentally ill and he had problems with epilepsy and and you know, people are saying some of the ways he looked at color. And shapes and everything was different because of his mental illness, you know? And since most of his work was done while he was in a mental institute, 
Um, so people like always kind of write him off when it comes to that part. When they'll be like, "Oh, he was he was crazy. Like he cut off his ear and they did this and that." Um, so people value his art way more than they value his uh, him Story. as a person. You yeah. know. Yeah. So like, cause he he never he wasn't he was almost he was not known. No one cared about him when he was alive, and now he's like you know top five most famous artists ever. Yeah. Um, it's so, so true it's just, though. It's just fun. Keep... It's just funny like how his mental illness Definitely. is just pushed away, and everyone just ignores that. You know, Completely everyone ignores the fact that no one cared about his mental illness. No one cared about him as a person. But oh, he made like these pretty flowers. So. Uh, that's what it, that's where his value comes from not not him as a person there you go man you know what we didn't even plan that but that actually fits really well i think yeah. i think it's like you know vincent van gogh i mean what an example of someone who i mean like a junior designer like they're valued for what they're producing and the rest of the story sometimes gets swept under the rug or the results of those um production gets swept under the rug and it's like that part of the story is just as important i think that man maybe it starts with vincent van gogh and then comes to us but i think that that's a that's a really really good point there all right thanks for tuning in for this episode guys we have another two interviews on mental health coming out for our next episode and we have some very special guests that we can't wait for you to hear from steven will be on the next one so if you're waiting around for him he'll be at the next one and that'll come out in what like a little bit whatever nick lets us back on love you nick (laughs) thanks everybody thank you we are the test pilot why don't we take that idea all the advice see if all this stuff is actually what it is we're here to test that